You sending the whoop? Shit, that's all you had to say. Get away from her, you bitch. Banana. Fortune and glory, kid. Fortune and glory. You're not even interesting enough to make me sick. It's only an island if you look at it from the water. I'm your density. You think I'm gorgeous? You want to kiss me? Hello! everyone. Uh, Wow. I can't believe that this day is finally here. I feel like it's been in the works for so long, but thank you so much for joining me to the premiere for the premiere episode of Sending the Wolf. Uh, My name is Clark Wolf, and uh, I think we've got a great show for you today. So this is a podcast where uh, my guest picks a movie off of any AFI list, um, and we talk about it. And it's kind of as simple as that. Um, I wanted to start this podcast because, you know, I I love film. I love entertainment. I always have. It's It's been a huge part of my life since I can remember. And uh, I know a lot of other people that feel that way, too. And sometimes, you know, with the industry that we work in, we get a little bit pigeonholed. Uh, sometimes people think of us in one way and we think of ourselves in another. And so I just wanted to open this up and celebrate celebrate movies and celebrate life because I think if you're anything like me, you've learned a lot about life from movies. You've had a lot of pivotal experiences uh, that that are surrounded by film. And uh, and that's what I found as I started recording these episodes. So um, today's guest is the one and only Mr. Sam Levine. So you know Sam from Inglorious Bastards, from Freaks and Geeks. And if you watch uh, The Schmodown, which is a movie trivia competition, that I participate in, you have definitely seen Sam, the inglorious one, Levine. Sam has become a really good friend of mine uh, over the last couple of months. And uh, one of the things that we bonded about right off the bat were movies. And uh, so I gave Sam the opportunity to pick a film that we would discuss. And he chose The Godfather. Um, So The Godfather is a classic film, uh, obviously, considered by many to be one of the greatest American movies of all time. Um, And, you know, it's always fun revisiting classics and uh, and movies that are known as masterpieces um, if you haven't seen them in a while. When I rewatched The Godfather, uh, I hadn't seen this movie in years. And, uh, you know, my opinions of it were a bit interesting. They were maybe a little bit different than Sam's. They were definitely a lot different than Sam's. Um, but that's one of the things that I like so much about this idea and this format is that it's a it's discussion based, but it's also not a history lesson we're talking about. We're talking about life, we're talking about experiences. Um, and so I think this is a great one to uh, start off the show. Now, a couple of things first, uh, spoiler alert going forward, you know, we're discussing this movie as though there are, um, as though there are, you know, as though you've seen it. Um, the other thing I want to say is, uh, you'll notice we recorded this episode several months ago and I brought up, uh, we talked about, I had not, me not being on Doug Loves Movies, Doug Benson's wonderful, uh, movie game show podcast that I'm a huge fan of, uh, and I have since appeared on DLM 
but I demand a rematch. Uh, before we get started, I just want to say um, you can uh, there you can go to the website clarkwolf.com and uh, you can enter your email address there and keep in touch. Uh, you can find me at Clark Wolf, Clark with an E, Wolf with an E, where I will be um, posting these episodes once a week. So here's the schedule: once a week. On Tuesday, you will get a full-length free podcast. Um, And then that Thursday, there will be a mini episode um, that will be a spinoff of of the podcast from uh, earlier in the week. And that will be available to Patreon subscribers at the $5 level or more. Um, So that leads me into Patreon. There is a Patreon. Um, You know, this is all uh, out of the love for entertainment, and I'm having a blast doing this, so uh, no complaints on my end. But, you know, if you want to support the show, if you want to support me uh, doing the show, um, then you can go over to patreon.com, and you can find me under Clark Wolf. uh, Once again, Clark with an E, Wolf with an E. There are a lot of levels of support, and there are lots of fun uh, goodies in there as well. So definitely check that out if you are so inclined, but the main episode that will come out every Tuesday will always be, uh, will always be free. So that's, that's the plan. That's the deal. Um, and I'm sure as you guys can imagine when you are starting things off, uh, you know, things, they, they evolve and they grow and they change, but I think we've got a pretty good place to start for now. Um, the last thing I want to mention is that wonderful theme song, the sending the wolf theme, uh, was written by Mr. Sean Keller. Sean is an incredible actor and writer and musician. Um, he is the writer and composer of um, Slashed the Musical, which is a show that I am involved in, and uh, you can find him on the internet. Be sure to support him. And uh, this episode was mixed, and the theme was mixed by Folsom Keller, who is an incredible sound engineer and who I am so grateful to. So thank you guys for being here. Um, I hope you have fun with this one. I certainly did, and um, that's going to do it. So here it is, Mr. Sam Levine and and myself talking about The Godfather. I'm just hedging my bets a little bit. I got you. Well, my phone is on stun. It won't ring. The house phone won't ring. I put the AC up to 76, which is, for this room, very high. Good. So we should have this level of sound the rest of the way. I think we sound great. Okay, terrific. We sound really good. Yeah. Um, so, and thank you for having me to your lovely home. We oh. just we just did the tour. Yes, we did. Which was great. Yeah. I was very impressed. And now we're staring at, in a home filled with posters mm-hmm. and movie and music memorabilia and sports, uh, we're staring at what we're talking about today, which is very impressive. It, oh, thank you. That is a, that is a British... Uh, one sheet. Interesting. Uh, the American Godfather one sheet is simply black and white. Uh-huh. I'm sure you're familiar with it. Of course. Uh, so the movie came out there a little later after it had been very popular here. And for some reason, the Brits decided to add a red silhouette of Brando's face. Couldn't imagine why. What, what do you think the red is all about? I don't know. Maybe the, the Brits do not care for just black and white. Or maybe it is the copious amounts of blood that oh. are coursing through the film. Oh, that's it is a very violent film. It is. So it's like he's got blood on, he's, you know. Yeah. Yeah, could be. I don't know. I don't pretend to know. Um, so we've been chit-chatting, but my I'm talking today with Sam Levine. 
<laughs> uh, in case you didn't know. I, I, I was like, have we started? Yeah. I guess we have. This is the Mark Marin trick where you just start talking. Yeah. And then you ease into it and yeah. people go, well, did we start? Did we start? And that's, but that's the type of thing that I like because mm-hmm. it's much more, this is not some formal, we're chilling on a couch. Yep. We got our glasses of water. Yep. We got the air conditioning to 76. Yep. We're just and kicking, we're rocking. It, kicking it in the valley today. I love it. Um, but yeah, so my guest is Sam Levine. You know him from movies and television shows. Movies like Sidney White <laughs> and... <laughs> God bless uh, you. Yes, and Inglorious Bastards and television shows like Freaks and Geeks and so many other things. Let's so. not forget my episode of That's So Raven. How could I? I was getting to that. That was my big closer. Oh, well, (laughs) that's my closer. Well, Sam and I have been, you and I made friends during the movie Trivia Schmodown. That's true. A bunch of nerds. Mm -hmm. I'm sniffly. Excuse me. I'm sorry. This is a very allergen-free home, I can assure you. It's not, it's certainly not your lovely home. It is me because I've been sitting outside all day, which has been very lovely, but also all the things. All of the things. All the nature. Yeah. Which is all right. Let me get you. But Sam and I, so Sam, you and I play in this movie trivia league Mm -hmm. and um it's a competitive thing but i listen to your uh, you play on doug loves movies too and one of these days we're going to convince doug to let me come on i am on the case and fight and battle battle to the death to the death one of us will not survive the episode Uh, no and our poster will be covered in red Mm -hmm. as a result Mm -hmm. because it will be so bloody so bloody um so yeah. What have you been doing today, Sam? Uh, today I had a, uh, a, a voiceover audition at, uh, at the Nickelodeon Studios over in uh, Borbank. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, they, they're very nice to me. They bring me in there an awful lot to audition for their various... Uh, they do a lot of interstitial shorts. Mm-hmm. That's the thing I go yes. in there for the most, probably. And I've, I've voiced a, a few of them over the years, but I'm running at about a 30 to 1 ratio. <laughs> And, voiceover, but, but you know, I mean, certainly I don't have uh, any form of name recognition, uh, certainly not as much as you, but when I went in for, when I would go in on VO, mm-hmm. you're like, I feel like I did pretty well. And then it's, but uh, like zillions of people right. are going out for these things. And also it's kind of like, they they have to know exactly what the thing that they want is. Yeah. I feel like VO is one of those where they are not as flexible. Like you can't walk in and go, oh, and they're like, oh, that. Right. You know, at least maybe that's my opinion. No, no, you're you're right. And and I had uh, Maurice LaMarche, the great oh, Maurice yes. LaMarche on the chat show. And I had this longstanding theory that he kind of amended. My theory was that there's about 50 or so actors right. who do 90% of the voices you hear in film and television. And he said it's a little more. He said it's closer to about 80 to 100, I think. Mm-hmm. But that still rings true to me that, I mean, they're doing hundreds and hundreds of voices on every animated yeah. show every of these little interstitials um and uh and yeah so it's it's very difficult to break into that world pretty much someone has to die yeah or i feel like you need to be a celebrity like, or, yeah. when i say a celebrity you know what i mean no, like no, i'm talking like about a, like john ham who's right, who does a voice for a disney movie or, or a mercedes right it's like you know what i mean you're yeah. that you're that voice where you're doing a very like you know top 20 brand product mm-hmm. and you're also doing the biggest summer movie yes. for children that there is yes. and there's like no in between no there really isn't <laughs> Uh, so anyway, I drive over there about 30 times for each one job that I get. So, 
You know, the good news is when I do get that job, it pays for all the gas. I was just about to see- The other 29 times. That's why we're friends because Mm -hmm. I was just about to make that joke. So good job, good job, (laughs) good job. (laughs) Yeah, and nerds (laughs) all at once. Um, Well, so I'm doing this this podcast show, uh, this um, audio radio podcast show. Mm -hmm. You might've heard of it because I told you about it last week. I'm familiar with podcasts and radio and audio. (laughs) Um, And, uh, you know, the whole premise of it was that we were going to sit down and talk about the, you know, the guest gets to pick a movie uh, from any AFI list um, Mm -hmm. because, as you know, there are many. There are many. Many different themes. And the movie you picked, uh, The Godfather. Oh, yes. Is on quite a number of these lists. As it should be. Indeed. So uh, the AFI list, uh, they released a 10th anniversary list in 2007 and the Godfather went up a spot Mm -hmm. to number two. Yep. Just behind Citizen Kane. Uh, which I still maintain it should not be behind Citizen Whoa. Kane. Whoa. It should be number one. Whoa. Yeah. Well, we- Unpopular opinion. Yeah, we we can fight about that some sure. other time. And it replaced Casablanca. Like also it was like, correct get out of here, Casablanca. That is correct. Man, I don't know. Uh, oh, look, I'll, I'll put Citizen Kane and Casablanca in the top 10, but they should never be jockeying for one and two every year. Citizen Kane? You really yeah. don't think so? So what is your number two? Uh, my number two is The Godfather Part Two. Oh, uh, okay. Well, of non-Godfather <laughs> movies. <laughs> um, uh, see, I, this is the a, a long-standing debate I have had with uh, crazy movie people, including Mr. Leonard Malton, who, I mean, talk about a tough sell on this opinion. Uh, yeah. But I think my standing is to to hold movies that were made in the 30s and 40s and even early 50s to this unbelievable level of high regard mm-hmm. is to turn a blind eye to the evolution of the art form totally. that that took over filmmaking in the 60s and 70s. And I, I think while Citizen Kane and Casablanca are absolutely brilliant movies of their time, to compare a movie like Casablanca to The Godfather... Mm-hmm they were limited by the ways they could tell stories back then. And they were held to a public standard and a studio standard. And so I just think the, the stories are richer. The, they are, they're more compelling. They're more emotional there. They resonate more. It was a more visceral experience for the viewer. And so while again, they're brilliant movies for their day and I'll keep them in the top 10, I personally get much more uh, of a movie going experience that stays with me for a lifetime watching movies like The Godfather, Godfather Part Two, even Reservoir Dogs, mm-hmm. Pulp Fiction, Goodfellas. Um, those are movies that that I think will stand the test of time a hundred years from now, more so than Citizen Kane or Casablanca. Well, I am no Leonard Malton, but I, there are two counter arguments that I would have to that. Sure. Because I do, you know, look, a part of the reason why I wanted to start this is because I, you know, we, I, I do a lot of, um, commentary or talking about film to a really young audience, right? Digital okay. audiences, I think, are very young, especially yeah. when you're talking about like our the Collider audience, which I do a lot of work for, or um, et, et cetera, et cetera. And, um, you know, I think it's really important 
Because there's always some movies where you're like, oh, this is a movie that I have to like. Or, you know, you if you don't, it's right. like, you know, shame on you. Sure. You're not respecting the what came before. But Citizen Kane, to me, has always been one of those movies where I'm like, no, this is, to me, endlessly entertaining. Sure. And also, I feel like, incredibly modern in its camera work and storytelling. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, there are obviously, I think we were just talking about the apartment maybe, or maybe I brought that up. Maybe I didn't bring it up with you, but the thing that I would say about the apartment, which I hope we get to on this show one day is, um, save from the fact that Jack Lemon actually says at one point, I, I pay $200 a, a month for this huge apartment in Manhattan. Yep. Yep. It is, it is actually not, particularly dated. Mm -hmm. um, and so for me, Kane is one of those movies where I can watch it and I don't feel, for instance, Touch of Evil. Sure. Not one of those movies for me. Very dated. I hate Touch of Evil. Wow, there's I mean, an unpopular opinion. Yeah, I really, I really, and, and I've tried yeah. to watch it recently. Yeah. And I do, I've gotten through it a handful of times. I but would wager there are smug film schools where they will spend an entire semester breaking down the opening tracking shot in Touch of Evil. I'm sure you are right. Yeah. But the other counter argument I would have to, it's hard because, you know, with something like Casablanca, comparing it to The Godfather is is challenging. Sure. Uh, because they are so, I think they're vastly different films, aside from the fact of how they are made and right. the time period they are right. made in. Um, with Kane and The Godfather, you could, you know, it's about a man, it's out about ambition, it's about the people around him. Mm -hmm. Loosely, you can make those comparisons. But, um, but The Godfather... I just, I don't know. I don't know if I could, I don't know. That's okay. This is, I'm sharing an opinion. I, oh, I don't no, no, present no. it as fact. That's you just... don't have to, you don't have to agree with it. In fact, it, it's better if you don't. Otherwise, there's no conflict. I don't, and you're right. And there needs to be There conflict. needs to be conflict for the story to work. I was just about to say, as any good storyteller will tell you. So in addition to currently sitting at number two, mm -hmm. um, which if AFI does another one of these lists, because, you know, technically we're due for another one. We really are. Uh, and so if they do, we perhaps they will boot Citizen Kane. It would be astonishing if they did, since it's my understanding the uh, the folks making the big decisions over at AFI are still a pretty old bunch. Yeah, and that's very obvious in the choices. Yes, it is, and that that's and that's my my other issue with the the putting the placement of movies like Citizen Kane and Casablanca above The Godfather, I think it is a very old-fashioned, nostalgic feeling. Definitely. And and those older people, maybe some of them saw Casablanca in the theaters. I mean, there's probably not that many now who did, but, but you know, it was that kind of thing where it was a different experience going to the movies back in those days. Like, that was a big deal. Oh, we're going to go to the pictures tonight. What's the new one? Oh, the new Bogart movie is out. Like, it was an event. Yeah. And uh, and so, you know, people, I don't want to say they misremember it, but they remember more than just the movie. They remember the whole experience. Sure. And that's what their brain thinks of when they think of that movie. And that's a great thing to do sometimes. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't remember virtually anything about Avatar uh -huh. other than how uncomfortable those fucking 3D glasses were. <laughs> And it was the Fern Gully with 3D glasses. Right, sure. Um, so, like, for me, that's my takeaway from Avatar, and it's kind of a bummer that that's still the most successful movie in the world I right know. now. I know, and we're, um, well, we're going to get a lot more of them, Sam, yeah, the, all the movies that no one asked for. I don't for. know. The way he keeps delaying them, I'm hoping uh, maybe I'll... 
I'll uh, I'll outlive the or they'll outlive me. Maybe who the, knows the, the placement of those movies, and well, I'll never have to deal with them. And in, ter- in terms of the AFI list, which I do agree is rather conservative, um, it's the number two quote. That is true, uh, and uh, and I'm pretty. I, I would definitely agree with that. Number two quote. Uh, what I was surprised about was because there are a lot of repeats on the quote list. Yeah, uh, like meaning films, mm-hmm. you know, have multiple quotes from the same movie. At Godfather, this was the only one. I guess so. Um, yeah, I guess. I mean, there's. I mean, if you're a fan of the movies, the lines are endlessly right. quotable. But I would even wager that if you met someone who somehow had not seen The Godfather and you said the quote, "I'm going to make him mm-hmm. an offer he can't refuse," they would know what you that's know from. what that means. Yeah. yeah, and the score. It is the number five ranked score ah, on and, the list, and uh, and the score I believe was done by. Carmine Nino Rota. Oh, that's correct. Nino Rota. Carmine Coppola is the piano player and did some of the songs. That's what it is. That's what I'm misremembering. I believe you. Uh, Which is uh, uh, Francis Ford Coppola's father. Mm -hmm. And, uh, oh, it was a family affair. Uh, How could it not be? As I'm sure you will know, the baby in the baptism scene at the very end of the movie was none other than Sofia Coppola herself, Mm -hmm. who was weeks old when they shot that. But he didn't have to pay her a sag rate. That's correct. I mean, Yeah, that's what what I call stolen labor. (laughs) And and Roman is in there too. He's a little boy Mm -hmm. on the street at Mm -hmm. one point. Yes, during the uh, the fight scene between uh, Sonny and Carlo. Which is not much of a fight. They spent, (laughs) I think they spent weeks choreographing and shooting that. And that to me, that's the only scene in the movie that makes me cringe every time I watch it because there is a punch in that scene. Now, it's arguably, he doesn't cut in that scene. He wanted it to be one long shot and it works great with the exception of one punch where James Caan comes a full 10 inches away from Gianni Russo's face. Yeah, it doesn't. And and it's from the wrong angle and you can clearly see he whiffs. And, you know, he sells the punch and it just, it bothers me now even talking about it. But with the exception of that one whiff, perfect film. Okay. Well, and I know you are an Oscar aficionado. To a degree. Yes. So we know that The Godfather won three Oscars. Mm -hmm. And uh, this is something that I always think is interesting. Um, Losing Best Director to 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 Bob Bob Fosse for for Cabaret, Cabaret, which is kind of criminal. See, I don't know. I really don't. Yeah. Because I think that Fosse, while yes, I love I love Cabaret, sure. Yeah. Uh, I don't love every Bob Fosse movie he's ever made. Okay. But there is, to me, I don't know if you've seen Cabaret recently. Certainly not recently. Yeah. There's there's something there's something to be said about reimagining or reexamining that movie as as we get older. Mm-hmm. Um, because I think the stories are, you know, yes, like it's easy to remember it for the masks and the dirty or the when I say the masks, I mean the makeup. Mm-hmm. Um, and the dirty costumes and Liza Minnelli and sure. all of the iconic nests that surrounds it. Yeah. But at the same time, there's just something about how Fosse controls. I mean, there's so much that goes into being a director, obviously. Uh, of course. But um, there, to me, there's something about how he just knows how to make you look at the thing mm-hmm. that that he wants you to look at. And and yet the staging, I mean, because obviously he's a choreographer. Right. So he knows how to, he knows how to fill a, a frame and a set. Uh, but for me, I, I, 
you know, and by the way, Coppola won his, he, he came back. Yeah, no, he, he did fine. But I mean, it's weird that I even think about this and I only ever think about this now because it's been, you know, 40 plus years. And so we know the history and everything, but Coppola had to fight. Oh yeah. So hard. I mean, tooth and nail on every single decision with the studio, with Robert Evans. He was such a fighter for what he knew was right, what was the best creative decision. And the studio was so hard on him for what they perceived as him going over budget and over schedule. And of course, he finished the movie under budget and ahead of schedule. Mm -hmm. And Because he had his kids step into the role so he didn't have to pay those actors. Uh, so there you go. He saved there you on. go. So he was saving money left and right. But I mean, he, he did everything so well and it was such a battle for him and then he ended with, again, what I believe is a perfect movie. And so knowing that backstory that it wasn't just... You know, he stepped in with a script already written, you know, that everybody loved, that everybody wanted to make, that everyone was pulling for him, that he had the full support of the studio every step of the way, that it was such a battle for him. That goes into my thinking of, oh, he got robbed. He really was the best director. Well, agree to disagree. This is not just a history lesson. Um, I want to know, like, where... When you first saw this movie, I will happily tell you the first time I saw The Godfather. So, my parents were big fans of The Godfather. They saw both The Godfather and part two and part three in theaters and they talked about it. They quoted it all the time. And I remember when I was about eight or nine, I finally caught on and I said, what is this movie you guys are always talking about? The Godfather. And they both said, ah, you, you wouldn't like it yet. You're, you're not, you're not going to like it yet. And so it wasn't until I was, I think 11 years old and I was homesick and, uh, and I, I mean, I wasn't sick, sick, like, die, you know, dying death or anything, but I was just like, Ugh, I can't move. I just got to sit in front on the couch and watch TV today. And, uh, my mother said, well, what do you want to watch? And I said, I don't know. Can I watch that Godfather movie you guys are always talking about? And she said, uh, sure. And then she goes digging around in our VHS collection, looking for it. And shockingly, we did not own the Godfather on VHS. What we did own on VHS was what was known as the the Godfather saga. Yes, I know what this is. Which was tell something I will happily tell our audience. So uh, you have to be somewhat familiar with The Godfather Part 2 uh, to understand what this is. So after the first two movies were released, the second one, there's a lot of back in time. There's a, a kind of a prequel story to The Godfather as well as the sequel story to The Godfather in Godfather Part 2. And so what The Godfather saga did was it chronologically organized the storytelling of the Corleone family by intercutting two with one and then back to two again. And in doing so, they also added many deleted scenes and extended some scenes that had been removed from both movies. I believe it was originally, it aired on, I think it was PBS, if I'm not mistaken. I, know, I don't know where it exactly, where it right. aired first, but I remember seeing it on AMC. Okay, it, so I know it did air at one point on television in the 80s, maybe late 70s, early 80s. And I, I guess, I think, but I could be wrong that it was PBS, but anyway, they, they put it out on VHS. And my folks owned this big, goofy, like it literally looked like a big book. 
and it was the Godfather saga. And that book had to have come out in the 90s because it also had Godfather Part 3 in it, mm. which came out in 1990. So I probably had, they probably acquired this in 91, and then I probably watched it in 93 when I was 11. So that's how I saw The Godfather, which, so basically I started watching portions of the godfather part two then getting to the godfather part one followed by more portions of part two but i saw all these extra scenes and extended sequences in there and it was not until several years later that i actually sat down and watched the the theatrical version of the godfather part one realizing what scenes were missing or not as long as the ones i was used to and it was quite a different experience and so i have tremendous love for the saga as well as part one and part two in their theatrical versions uh but that's how i i came to know it and see it and fall in love with it and um and there are reasons why i love it so much uh particularly part one it is Shakespearean in its storytelling. I mean, by and large, all of Shakespeare is about familial relationships, kings, princes, uh, the relationships that um, brothers have, that they have with their brothers, their sisters, their children, their daughters. And this movie is all of that. If you remove the, the time frame from the movie, all of these stories might as well be 14th century England. You know, they, they really, uh, they are such uh, deep-rooted stories about revenge and what's right and a perceived slight and how, you know, emotions alter business. And, uh, and so I think um, that was something I got immediately upon watching it. When I was in high school, my boyfriend at the time, who was a major nerd, so we both were, obviously, but he fancied himself a real movie scholar. And he was one of those guys who, at 17, was talking about how prolific Mike Nichols was. And you're just like, you don't know what any of this means. You're just regurgitating I mean, something one of your parents said. Yeah, and which is yeah. fine. I mean, I, I'm not, you know, look, I'm, not, I'm certainly not knocking an appreciation for something that's not, you know, contemporary pop culture necessarily. Right. But at the same time, this was always a big point of contention was, oh, you haven't seen The Godfather. And I was like, yeah, but I don't really want to. I'm all set on that right now. Mm -hmm. I was in, you know, I was in high school and I was like, I'm not, I don't want to watch this stupid movie. I mean, not stupid, but you know what I mean. Mm -hmm. But I knew that I needed to see it. So I did watch it. And I remember kind of being like, you know, this is a little long for me. This is a little boring for sure. me. But what's interesting is that, and that was 15 year old me. Right. I mean, you know, I, and when I was rewatching it uh, last night and this morning, because I am a grandma who falls asleep <laughs> at nine o'clock, um, I, uh, I really and truly was shocked at how much I remembered. Yeah. You know, because, and by the way, I've seen, you know, the movie is on television all the time. It is. And, and my dad and I always have this joke where, you know, if he's watching television, he's watching Gladiator, The Godfather, and that's pretty much it because they're always on TV. Okay. And so, um, 
So I've seen, you know, I have watched it since I was a teenager, but yeah, watching it again, I was shocked at how many of the set pieces I remembered. Like I really, really did remember all the big stuff. There was little things here and there that I, you know, like certain characters and things like that, where I was like, oh yeah, I forgot about that or whatever. But, um, but for the most part, I, I remembered it, um, and uh, you know it's it's funny because have you seen you've got mail? Uh, yes. Uh, yes. Do you remember the conversation they have about the Godfather? I do not. Okay. Well, so basically it's Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan emailing each other uh-huh. and, uh, cause they don't know who each other is yet. Oh, right. Uh, and, or who they are yet. And, um, so, so Tom Hanks character being this like, you know, ruthless businessman. Right, right. Joe Fox. I was about to say, isn't it Fox Books? F-O-X. Uh, so he is, you know, Kathleen is, uh, Meg Ryan's character She's like, oh, my store, you know, I love it. It was my mother's and like all this. And now it looks like we're about to be pushed out of business. And um, and he's like, well, you need to go to the mattresses. And uh. and so they have this exchange where, where Meg Ryan says, what is it with men and the Godfather? Like all of this, it's, what is it about this? And he goes, whoa, there's a, there's a, a there's a scene for every every life event. Mm-hmm. You know, leave the gun, take the cannoli, yep. uh, Monday, Tuesday, whatever. And it's a really, it, I think it's funny. It's also funny to hear Tom Hanks talk about the Godfather, even sure. if it is Joe Fox. But I have to say, I agree with our friend Nora Ephron. This is, this is- You think it's a man movie? I really do. Ooh. I really do. I mean, I I, I will say that I've certainly met more men than women over the years who, who hold the movie in, in the same high regard as I do, but my mother, it is her favorite film. I believe her. Um, and- uh, and I think, I don't know. So what is it? Is it the violence? No, 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 no. I mean, certainly you're talking to the person yeah, who sees every horror movie. Exactly. Uh, it's it's not about violence, not at all. Is it that it's such a male-dominated movie? It's not even that. It To me, it is an idea of masculinity mm-hmm. that I kind of... I'm like, eh, okay. I'm all set. I hear you. Like, and and it's it's funny because I um I I I how how many minutes in are we? We're 27 minutes in here, so I got to drop the bombshell. Okay, get get to it. Here's the bombshell. Uh, it's not for you that I was saving. It's more because I don't want my audience to turn on me this early in the show. <laughs> uh, I don't like this movie. Oh my now, God. Here's Clark the thing. Wolf. Here's the thing. I'm not saying that I don't appreciate or recognize okay. that this is an incredible film. Okay. Coppola directs the hell out of it. The yep. performances are incredible. Yep. I don't fault the screenplay. Okay. I just don't like it. Do you know what? I have no problem with that stance because that is my feeling about musicals. There you go. I, I'm not saying they're bad. Mm-hmm. I get the art. I understand that it was an incredible effort and it's a wonderful film. And if you like musicals, right. boy, oh boy, you know, this one or Chicago or whatever the musical of the week is, you're going to love it. But if you don't like musicals like I don't, yeah. you're not going to enjoy it. And I think too, like we were talking about earlier um, about, you know, movies from a certain era yep. being held to a certain regard. Mm-hmm. You know, um, the the Godfather is very contemporary. I don't look at this movie and go, oh, it's so dated, right. except mm-hmm. for when it comes to the women in this movie. Very much so. And it's frustrating for me. I completely um, understand. Because, you know, and we see, by the way, like, 
I mean, I've seen, I don't think I've ever seen part three, actually, which we've talked about. We have. My, my stance on The Godfather part three is if it were its own movie and had nothing to do with The Godfather uh, films, I think people would like it a lot better. Yeah, and I love that you said that, and I'm glad that you brought that up. But I have seen part two, and I know sort of where it goes. Yeah. Um, but uh, it was really hard, like... Connie is really hard to watch in this movie sure. uh, and Kay is really hard yep. to watch in this movie yep. and and you know I think too like the it, it's frustrating for me to know that there's so there's generations plural of of men who watch this movie and they go well that's just family that's just life like that's just how it is like they relate to that right sure and in their own families and their own lives and that's okay I'm you know everybody's right. upbringing is different um, but. To me, it's just like life is messy, but I don't necessarily think that life needs to be so messy where, you know, you're beating up your wives and you're like, you know right. what I'm saying? I do. And, and, and your hysterical sister probably, you know, she probably deserved to get knocked in the face. Oh, well, no, well, that's, that's not. I was saying but, deserve and quote. But fingers, I, I will but. say this and I will say it as delicately as possible. Yeah. This is supposed to be a snapshot, if you will, of a very specific time period yes. dealing with a very specific culture, yep. which is Italian Americans who in the in that in the forties and fifties were in the mafia and of of that group they operated a very specific way, and that way was we don't terribly respect our women, the women in our oh, lives. And yeah. if they get out of line, I'm doing air quotes here, then you put them in their place, more air quotes. And it's obviously we know, well, you don't do that, you fucking monster. Sure. But they did. And so that's why it is part of the story. Much like, I mean, we don't enjoy hearing the N-word. Right. But in Django Unchained, it's every fifth line in Absolutely. that movie because of that time period, it was very commonplace. That's right. And again, I, I just, I think, I think this is what's fun about exploring cinema and movies and that are in regard or that are pop culture icons mm -hmm. that are box office smash, which The Godfather is all of these. Yep. And I think that it's it's fun to explore these things and understand why they are considered as such. Yeah. Even even if you don't particularly say I like this, sure. you can still like look at it and admire it. And I think that that's that's what's fun about going back and and these types of exercises, yeah. I think. For me, when I uh, when someone asks me, uh, you know, oh, did you like the movie? Talk about your favorite movies. For me, what makes a movie outstanding is the goal of any good story is a character arc to get your character from A to B. And when they go from A to B, there's got to be a reason that they do it. And if I don't believe that reason, if it seems forced or false, I'm not going to like your movie. If you don't give me a, if you give me a firm understanding of your character at the beginning, and then it makes no logical sense to me why he or she is different at the end, that's a shitty movie. Maybe it was in the script and you just directed it badly and edited it badly, and I don't understand it. Or maybe it was always a bad script and there was no saving it. But for me, the crossover in the movie for Michael. Oh, yeah. Going from what he started as an idealist 
who who said, that's not me, McKay, that's my family. Mm-hmm. And I believe him yeah, when he says that. absolutely. To what he is at the end of the movie, it all gels with me perfectly. And if I may, and we probably should have said at the top of this major spoilers, but I'd like I'd like to hope your audience is, is, has already seen The Godfather yes. before listening to this. But watching the movie as many times as I have, I said to you in an email, I've probably seen it 50 times. It's much closer to 100, if not more. Right. Um, a lot of people would say, oh, well, you know, he, it's when, he, it's when his, uh, his father gets attacked in the hospital. And that's part of it. That's when it starts for Michael, when his father gets uh, a shot in the street and then he's in the hospital and McCluskey, the police captain who is on the take, pulls all the protection away so that they can finish the hit and kill the Don in the hospital. And Michael shows up pretty much by accident and realizes it quickly. And so he enlists the help of Enzo the baker. And they stand there and they stop the, the secondary hit. And then the Don, who's in the hospital and unable to defend himself, when Michael goes back in and says to him, it's okay, Dad, I'm with you now. And he, the Don cries. Mm-hmm. And the Don cries for two reasons. The first is he's grateful that his son was there and saved his life. But the second reason the Don is crying is because this is not the life he wanted for Michael. Right. And so that's the first time a Michael senator, gets a, a taste of it. Right. He, he gets a taste of it because then he's back on the stairs outside the hospital with Enzo. And the car drives past slow. And then Enzo goes to have a cigarette. And Michael lights the lighter for Enzo who can't can't do it because his hands are shaking so hard because he's so nervous. Michael, cool as a cucumber. Mm-hmm. And that's the first time he knows, well, son of a bitch. This was not as weird for me as I kind of maybe always thought right. it was. And that's when it starts, but that's not what pushes Michael over the edge. What do you think pushes Michael over the edge? Now, for me, <laughs> what pushes Michael over the edge was love. Michael never loved Kay. No. He didn't love her when they were first dating. He liked her. You saw he wouldn't tell her he loved mm-hmm. her in front of the other, in front of the guys. He wouldn't, you know, he, he wouldn't be as, as nice to her. He said, oh, I got to do this stuff, Kay. I'll call you. I'll call you. I'm sorry, but blah. But when Michael is hiding in Italy, he doesn't like Apollonia. He loves He does love Apollonia. Apollonia. That was the most pure, real thing yep. in Michael's life was how much he loved Apollonia. And when she is killed, Michael died on the inside with her. I agree. That was it. That's that's what pushes Michael over the edge. And he's never the same person again. And uh, And so after that, when he takes back up with Kay... As awful as it is, Kay is a vessel. He needs yeah. children. He needs a family. And Kay was there to begin with. Then he doesn't have to put in the work. And that's that. Oh, my God. When he says, uh, when he sees Kay and, and she said, how long have you been back? And he said, I've been back a year. A year. I literally gasped out loud. Yeah. I went, <gasps> and I was just like, oh, fuck this guy. I yeah. was so mad at yeah. him. I just, and, and like, again, I, I, I agree with you 100% about the Apollonia thing. And mm-hmm. it's funny. It's, you think that that wouldn't be, is that a point of contention amongst I, Godfather? Folks? I don't know. I think, uh, I, I don't often get to have this debate, um, or discussion. So I'm not sure if it is for me, that's what I get every time. I agree. A hundred percent. Like you I know. could, you know, because that's the thing is he goes there and you know, because this is actually, this is what I remembered from being a kid. When I remembered 
when I was rewatching the movie, I remembered thinking I always felt like the Apollonia thing was weird because I remember thinking like, well, he has this woman in in New York that he's with, and mm-hmm. and and then he's here and and he dates this girl, and that's not cool, and then he marries her. Mm-hmm. Why is he marrying her? This is again fifteen year old sure, part, sure. right? So when I was rewatching the movie today, I really was like. Oh, he marries her because he's going to stay. Mm. Like that's, you know what I mean? I don't know that he was going to stay. I think he was well, going to take her back they, to New York. They say like, oh, you're going to be an American wife and yeah. an American life. But I suppose what I mean is maybe if he doesn't stay forever, I mean, right. he's not in a rush. Right. That, you know, whereas I think his intention when he left was, when can I go back? When can I go yeah. back? When can I go back? Yeah. And now, and now it's like, well, I'll, yeah, I'm going to marry this woman and right. I'm going to be here and I'm going to be a part of her family and mm-hmm. she's a part of mine. And, I mean, teach her to drive and all of these things. And um, yeah, I think that's what I mean is he's not in a hurry to get back. It's kind of right. like this stuff can wait for yeah, a while. Yeah, I mean, they come, the, 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 the Don there comes to tell him that Santino, Sonny, right. has been killed. Right. And, you know, he's, I think the only reason he was able to even handle that was because of Apollonia. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And well, in the juxtaposition too of her very innocently in the car going, come on, come on, I'm going to show you how to drive. Yeah. You know, and because she has no idea. She has no idea. What, you know, Michael has just learned and Michael looking back at her. I noticed that scene. Yeah. You know, he looks back at her and doesn't freak out. Nobody yeah. freaks out. Not that that's in the, Sunny is the freaker outer. But yeah. but yeah, I think I think we do see that she is, she is a calming a something. She Absolutely. is a calming something for him. Mm-hmm. And I agree with you 1,000% oh, okay. that, that that is the turning point. That is the turning point. And so when Michael does what he does at the end of the film, right. by the end of the film, the settling of all the family business, the fucking murdering of his brother-in-law, Carlo, yeah. I mean, it all makes sense to me because at that point, Michael has learned, I cannot allow my emotions. I must kill who I need to kill for the business to succeed. I don't care who they are. I also loved how much after that uh, the sequence in Italy when he comes back, how um, clearly Michael is lying mm-hmm. so many times. Like, for instance, when he sits down with, with Vito and, and you know, the Don says to him, you know, are you happy? Are you happy with your family? Are you mm-hmm. happy with your kids? Mm-hmm. And he said, oh, yes, very happy. Yeah. And it's just like, that's such bullshit. It is such and, shit, yep. and then at the end of the movie where, you know, Kay is saying, did you kill her, bro- her right. husband? Mm-hmm. And he says, don't ask me, don't ask me. Okay, you get to ask me once. And she does. And and he says no. Right. And it's like, you fucking liar. Yeah. But he does it without flinching. Nope. And what's so amazing is I love watching Pacino do this. Yep. Because you can just like, it is so authentic and he's so in it. He means every word. Absolutely. It's it's really, really cool. But watching watching a character lie uh is and, and but and know that he is lying. Like he knows he's lying, but he also doesn't care. Right. That's that's the part that I think is really cool. Yeah. And that final shot of uh, that, it's so beautiful. Absolutely. Um, it, there's, it, there's a lot of... There's a lot of really like scary stuff in this movie. And I don't mean scary as in like, oh, people are getting killed. You know, like there's the scene in the very beginning where Sonny is taking the bridesmaid upstairs. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Sonny goes up first and then the the bridesmaid comes up after him. But the camera, all you see is his hand 
reaching out to her. Right. And you, you can't, and, and you know, you see her walk up and it's just like, it is the weirdest shot. It's so jarring. And yet it's almost like, you know, yeah. it's like the hand of the devil almost just reaching out and going, come here. Yep. Come upstairs. And obviously it's a, it's a sexy sequence that comes after that, but that part was it was very horror to me. Sure. And knowing that Coppola himself is obviously such a big genre fan in general, I think there are little moments throughout this where you can see that the darkness is um, really real. Oh, absolutely. I mean, this movie, uh, the, the, the the symbolism oh, yes. in this movie and throughout the trilogy, I mean, everyone always talks about the oranges. Right. Oranges symbolize impending death, impending doom, and... Uh, and so that's, I mean, who, who'd have thought oranges? Right. And to this day, it is a go-to trope in movies to reference oranges foretelling death. Do you know if that's an, if the, if anything of mention like that is in the book? Uh, I don't. I've never read the books. I'd be curious. And, um, you know, I heard this recently and I can't verify it, mm -hmm. um, but I heard that while Coppola's original draft of the script stayed very true to the books. Uh -huh. The ultimate shooting draft strayed considerably to make it more palatable as a feature. Because mm. uh, was, it was kind of a sprawling, scatterbrained uh, book. Mm -hmm. And again, I've not read the book. That could be wildly wrong, mm -hmm. but I've heard from what I'll consider a pretty good authority on it, um, that, that that was the case. And that's why Coppola insisted that the movie be called Mario Puzo's The Godfather mm. instead of just The Godfather. Um, but uh, Because the shooting draft was so close to... The original draft was so close to the books, but then the shooting draft, by the time they were finished, was, was different. different. Yeah. Okay. But when the original draft was written, he called it Mario Puzo's The Godfather. Got it, got it, yeah. got it. That makes sense. Yeah. Uh, and I just want to go back to what you were saying about the acting from Pacino, especially oh, yeah. in that last scene. Um, and this goes back to me talking about uh, when Coppola had to fight. Right. So as I'm sure you are aware, uh, Bob Evans, my buddy Bob Evans, no, Robert Besties. Evans, the, the, uh, <laughs> the, the producer, uh, he and the studio all wanted James Caan mm -hmm. to be Michael. And for a while, he was going to be Michael. And then uh, Bob Evans also fought very hard for Robert Redford right. to be Michael. That was basically his first choice until they talked him out of that. And then he said, okay, fine, Jimmy Kahn. And then everyone was sort of on board with Jimmy Kahn. Meanwhile, Coppola always knew in his heart he wanted Pacino, who did screen test after screen test after screen test. And the studio kept, nah. Uh, we, we're just, uh, we don't know. He's, you know, uh, and he was supposed to do, uh, Pacino was supposed to do a, a different movie. Oh God, the name of the movie escapes me. Um, but uh, he eventually, they, you know, Coppola got him. They got the studio. He got Bob Evans to say, sure. And so uh, the funny thing is the movie that he bailed on doing to do the Godfather, uh, De Niro, wound up doing oh, the part funny. that Pacino was going to do in that other movie. That, and I'm very upset with myself that I can't remember the name of this movie. It's a forgettable movie, but uh, but I just kind of thought that was... Why do all these producers want Robert Redford for all of these very ethnic roles? Whether it's The Graduate... I, that that story is so crazy to me that I know they, they wanted yeah. everybody for Benjamin Braddock, but it's yeah. like, I mean... 
I'd like to say it was just a uh, a problem of the times, a movie but star. but you know here we have Scarlett Johansson there today playing a role that absolutely one hundred percent should have been played by an Asian actor. There you go. So um, yeah, you know I was doing some reading about uh, Francis Ford Coppola's career before The Godfather, mm-hmm. and a lot of his movies had received Oscar nominations, which I thought was really interesting. Yeah. Like one, I, I forget exactly, I could look it up, but um, one of them uh, definitely got a Best Picture nomination. And then the one before that got a Best Supporting Actress nomination for one of his actresses. Hmm. So I thought that was interesting because I think a lot of times when you look at these, you know, I mean, it wasn't really early in Coppola's career, but this was clearly the thing that I think made him an icon. Oh yeah. But, but the Oscar love was sort of always there and he had made a movie with James Caan before I want to say uh that sounds about right it is I looked it up and um I I remember noticing it so I thought that was really interesting that they had you know and then he came and was was Sonny yeah um and and continued to work with him yes well once once he got Pacino he called uh, James Caan and said yeah how about Sonny and Caan apparently said yeah that's a that's that part is way more me anyway. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, it makes a whole lot of sense. It's really and, and there's a lot of um yeah there's so many good lines in this movie. Uh, oh, can I just say real fast, please? Uh, that Tom Hagen. Yes, Robert Bob, Duvall. Bobby Duvall. Indeed. So I when when a movie is so much in your in your worldview, which The Godfather is. I mean, The Godfather is everywhere in terms of, like we've said before, pop culture and entertainment and all of that. I don't know why, but I just never put together that that was Robert Duvall. Ever. I just <laughs> never, like, it, it's like, it's almost like face blindness. I don't like, know what that means. I, like, I just, like, I looked up, I was like, who plays Tom Hank? And I couldn't recognize, I don't know why my face, my my brain just could not put the pieces together. Mm. I know what Robert Duvall looks like. I know who he is. Yeah. So I looked it up. I was like, who plays Tom Hagen? Oh, a duh. Mm-hmm. Um, but I love that character. That's oh. a great character. And Duvall is so good in it. Oh, brilliant. Oh, no, he's, you're absolutely right. It is a great character. It is a crucial character. Yes. Um, and, uh, and, and, and he's brilliant. I mean, the, the acting is brilliant all Across around. I mean, Marlon Brando won best actor, uh, for his, uh, role as Don Vito Corleone in the movie. And, uh, and that of course led to the famous, uh, Oscar moment yes. where he did not show up to receive his award and sent, uh, an actress, um, oh, her real name is Marie... Johnson something. I just saw it earlier today, but I didn't um, write it down. Yeah, but she went up as an at, pretending to be a Native American as Sasheen Littlefeather, right. uh, but she was not really Native American. And she, uh, you know, accepted the award on, you know, and then made some protest piece or whatever. But yeah, that's that was Brando winning for The Godfather and, uh, and oof. And, uh, and then uh, Pacino was nominated for Best Supporting, which angered him. Oh, 
because he felt he was the lead actor. Well, I, I would agree with that. And actually. I would agree with that too. I would flip the two. But you it's know. that old. It, they're still doing it at the Oscars now. Yeah, of Even now, where they're like, oh, we're gonna. It's less competition over here, exactly. so we're gonna. Go I mean, I look. Don't get me wrong. Jennifer Connelly is a wonderful actress. Wonderful. Best supporting for a beautiful mind, right? Come on. I mean, they yes. This she is, has as much screen time as Russell Crowe. This is a weird trick that the Oscar people always pull. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and you know, you know who he lost to. I know you know uh, who uh, Pacino lost to in best supporting. You know, I don't off the top of my head. Joel Gray, of course. The ca oh, cabaret was there. Cabaret was there, just going like, "All right, mm -hmm. Godfather, we're gonna give you a run for your money," which I mm -hmm. do think is. Fascinating yeah. in that and how different those movies are. I mean, you I, talk about different. How I mean, look at uh, Shakespeare in Love versus Saving Private Ryan. Well, how dare you? How dare you talk about how different those movies are? How dare you compare Cabaret and The Godfather to shit? You really haven't seen Cabaret lately. If you, you need to watch it. I have seen Cabaret probably not in the last 20 years. Yeah, you need to, you need but, to watch but it. But you know it's a musical. But you know that it doesn't, it's not a break into song musical. Mm, that's true. It, it's a, it's a, you're watching a performance on purpose. Sure. And there's music in it. All right. No, I mean, I, I be, that's all a, right. Look, no, I remember, I remember the key elements of Cabaret. I know what's going on and it is more than just a musical. But, uh, but I was just using that as an example to say, talk about two very different movies stylistically. Right. And one of them is not good in the comparison and three of them are good. And let's just say that. Which of those movies do you not think is good? Shakespeare in Love. Okay, good. I mean, it's well, certainly it's, the weakest of the four. Yeah, I shouldn't say it's not I hate good. to remind you, it did win Best Picture. Oh, I know. Okay. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, no, it's it's one of the most undeserved Best Picture winners we've ever had. Maybe it's right up there with Crash, but... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, I know. <laughs> For the listeners at home, the face Clark just made when I said crash. <laughs> the only thing that I want is Sandra Bullock to win an Oscar for being a mean white lady yeah. in that movie. Yep. I, I, you know, I love me some Sandy B. She can win all the Oscars. She sure can. She wasn't even nominated. Nope. Oh, Don Cheadle's, I love Don Cheadle. Okay, you know what? That's a different podcast. <laughs> that's a different, that is, <laughs> that's that a is. very different. We've straight, we've straight. We have, we sure have, we sure have. No, but I mean, look, it's a, it's it's just honestly, regardless, okay, jokes aside, musicals aside, it, mm -hmm. it is a testament to the fact that the 70s and this time period mm -hmm. uh, was producing real and true, I would say avant-garde stuff that was different, that we hadn't seen before. Mm -hmm. I think Cabaret is up there. I think The Godfather is up there. It broke a mold in so many ways. Oh, very much. And yet I love, in the same way that I love that The Exorcist was a huge commercial success, even though The Exorcist is this really vulgar, like, in-your-face uh, uh, movie with language and violence and all the stuff. The Godfather, same way. I mean, same mm -hmm. thing. I love how it was this run box office smash. This is very much a movie for adults. Yes. And to watch it now, knowing the type of movies that we get, Mm -hmm. I just think is interesting. I, I'm so glad you said that because uh, when you and I are on the Schmodown, mm -hmm. uh, as I, I am not been shy about saying, I don't know animated movies. I really don't know musicals, comic book movies. And I say, eh, maybe I know it. And but well, what kind of movies do you like? Well, what are you into? And I say, movies for grownups. Right. 
And The Godfather is the ultimate movie for a grown-up. It is, in a lot of ways. It definitely is. And uh, and so that's that's one of the reasons I think I like it so much is my parents were very smart to not let me see this movie until I was just close to old enough. Oh, yeah. I might have still been too young at 11. I mean, I remember the first time I saw it when I was watching the saga, I was like, I don't understand some of this. And it wasn't until a couple years later when I think I watched Godfather 1, you know, proper, that I, I finally started to get all the, the little things that I missed the first time. Yeah, and I think that's the type, that's what this movie, that's what, I think that was intentional. Like, this is a movie I think that was meant to, you have to absorb it over time. Mm-hmm. You're not going to get it all on the first viewing. Yeah. At least I don't think so. Yeah. Maybe, maybe people who are more advanced than I mm. will. But I would say, by the way, um, there are some animated movies that are, I'm not saying- No, no, no. I'm saying there are animated movies made for children yes. that are very adult. Sure. And that you would probably maybe enjoy. Uh, maybe. I'm not saying across the board I don't like any of them. Like oh, I've sure. se- For a guy who says I don't like those movies, I've seen quite of a few course. of them. Of course, of course. And my take on those movies is- I'm going to have to look this up because I use this comparison all the time and I'm really not sure what uh, what the product was. I want to say it was a Secret, uh, the deodorant. Oh. And their, their tagline in their commercials was, uh, strong enough for a man, but made for a woman. Uh-huh. And that's how I feel about those animated movies. Entertaining enough for an adult, but made for children. Sure. Sure. And that's that's my take on it. I think that is a 99% of them. But then yeah. there you have some that do cross over that are like Kubo and the Two Strings or, right. you know, or even- Or Spirited Away is- Well, sure. I guess again, But I would yeah. say like Kubo is for kids. Yes. But it is very adult. Um, right. There are adult themes in there that- I, I, I would find hard to believe a six-year-old would even understand. Of course, of course. And also big ups to Zootopia because <laughs> I watched that on a plane and I really liked it. <laughs> I was just like, this is amazing. Right, right. I'm not saying I don't enjoy no, the no. movies. I'm just saying if I had to watch- Right, if I if I if my choice is between Zootopia or Sideways, that's a non-decision for me. Wow, what a choice! Like, yeah. in what situation is yeah. that your is that your ultimatum? The uh, <laughs> yeah, I crash landed on an island. Yes, and there and t- in in the in the late eighties, and those were the only two VHSs that yeah, survived exactly. the uh, the crash from the airport. The screen is broken yep. on the back of your chair. Yep. Um. So part of the thing that we do here on this show mm-hmm. is since we pulled these movies that were talking about off of a list. Um, you know, no list is perfect. Sure. And so if you could add a movie to the AFI top 100 list, what would it be? Well, off the top of my head, I don't remember all 100 movies. Fair. That's fair. Um, but for me, uh, I already mentioned it earlier in the show, and I'll say it again, Reservoir Dogs. Yeah. I thought that's where you were going. Yeah. that That was another... Um, life-changing movie for me. Actually, I saw that movie the same year when I was 11 years old. Mm. Uh, in 1993, it was on uh, VHS and I rented it and my parents did not want me to rent that movie mm-hmm. because they hadn't seen it, but they knew that it was uh, adult subject matter. And I remember I a video store opened walking distance from the house. And, you know, unlike the movie theater, you didn't have to show ID to rent an R-rated movie. And I knew we had a, a, a membership there, so I went in and rented it on my own time, on my own dime. And that movie 
changed my view of the world. Mm -hmm. Actually, in 1993, when I was 11 years old, here are the three movies that I saw that changed my view of the world in films. Reservoir Dogs, The Godfather, and A Clockwork Orange. Oh, God. Those were three... That's quite a trifecta. Those are, that is the trifecta of, as you would put it, man movies. <laughs> Um, yeah, I, Reservoir Dogs. I like the best out of those three. Sure, it's the le it's the least like do like I yeah I can yeah okay. Um, but I will I will grant all three are definitely guy movies in the in the sense of that of that term. Uh, but yeah, but when I saw Reservoir Dogs, I I remember sitting there mouth agape after the the closing shot of that movie and just being in awe of everything I just watched and the journey that movie took me on. And for the first time, I, maybe it didn't occur to me the first time I watched it, but the second time I watched it, which by the way was hours later. Okay. Um, that's the time that I started realizing not a whole lot of this movie takes place outside of this warehouse. I mean, there are definite sequences that are well done and were produced and, and have multiple scenes and locations, but by and large, we keep coming back to this warehouse and that's where the most pivotal scenes of this movie happen and it's just the dialogue that's getting us there. And that's when I went, oh, this is a really well-made movie based on a really good script. Mm -hmm. And that's when I started thinking about movies as more than just, oh, go to the movies. Oh, let's see Dick Tracy. You know, or whatever How the movie Warren was. Beatty is going to slap you the next time. He's going to announce your name wrong the next time he sees you. He can. That's fine. <laughs> I'm, I'm just saying Dick Tracy was, I wasn't thinking about the filmmaking because no, I was eight years old in 1990. And, uh, and I had to be just a little bit older to fully appreciate um, you know, what, what went into actually making a film, writing the script, directing and putting it all together. And so that's why I think Reservoir Dogs is such an incredible feat. Well, that's a good choice. I have a feeling that, because Pulp Fiction is on the list. Uh, as it should be. Absolutely. But I wonder, I wonder if, if in this next go round, if there's a next go round, right. If Reservoir Dogs will get out of I on. do know this about Reservoir Dogs. It is on the BFI, ah. which is the British Film Institute. Well, they, they hold that movie in pretty high regard. And, uh, you know, they did give us Monty Python. I was about to say, the Brits have always been cooler than us. And, and, uh, and, and you know, good Brit rock, the British invasion, Indeed. mod rock. So, uh, so I, uh, I'm going to respect their opinion. All right. Good choice. Yep. Good choice, Sam. Well, how do you feel about what we did today? I feel pretty good about it. Um, I understand why you feel the way you feel about The Godfather, but as long as you are willing to admit that you know that... Uh, that it's a great film. Intrinsically, it is a, a great film, then I have no problem with anything and I feel great about I this. I 100% feel as though it is a uh, iconic piece of American cinema. Sure. And uh, absolutely should be as revered as it is. Mm -hmm. And uh, if I may say one last thing... Yes, oh, please. Uh, ...before we close we out. I'm in no hurry. I don't want it at schools. I don't want it sold to children. Woo! And the crowd goes wild. <laughs> Woo! And the award goes, the podcast yep, award goes to. Yep. All right, Sam. Thank you very much. Thank you so much, Clark. Bye. All right, everyone. That's it. The
the very first episode, the premiere of Sending the Wolf. I hope you all enjoyed it uh, as much as I enjoyed having the conversation with Sam. I also hope you guys don't hate me for not loving The Godfather, uh, but at least appreciating it. Um, and that's going to do it. So every Tuesday, you will get new episodes of Sending the Wolf. Go ahead and head over to iTunes. Um, subscribe to the show. Please rate and review the show. That helps people find it. Uh, and tell your friends. Uh, also, you can chime in and let me know, you know, some topics that you'd like to cover, some movies that you hope we cover, uh, some discussion points. And uh, go ahead and look forward on Thursday to the Sending the Wolf mini episode that is available to $5 subscribers or higher on the Patreon. So patreon.com slash Clark Wolf. Uh, that's going to do it for now. Thank you all so much for listening. Thank you once again to Sean Keller and Folsom Keller. And I will see you soon. Thank you.